Hello, and welcome to the Betsy Boss Podcast. Welcome back. We are back with another delightful and creepy story for everybody today. But before we proceed, we wanted to catch y'all up on some liberty that is really just boiling over. Some liberty on Heyman Lee. On Heyman Lee. And if anybody listened to the podcast Serial, which really started the whole podcast sensation and just I think I, you really interested in podcasts I did, at yeah. first and it was just so well done and I was late to the game and I didn't was listen. too I know <laughs> it's I awful. didn't I didn't even listen yeah I didn't listen to it when it originally came out I listened like a year or so after the fact oh you're better than me because oh. I I don't think I listened to it until I started this job maybe like a few years oh, ago wow now. and I loved it yeah and before that I think I didn't really want to listen to podcasts. I didn't get the point. And that just got me hooked. And I thought, wow, if this is what podcasts are like, then I'm going to have to start listening to them. Oh, and hey, maybe I'll make one of my own. And hey, <laughs> exactly. But anyway, if you remember the plot line of Serial, it's centered around a guy by the name of Adnan and the murder of good old Heyman Lee. Good old Heyman Lee. And it was just, they really did a good job with character development and trying to Mm -hmm. teach the listeners about each character and what their background was, what their motives were and all of that. So that the listener was really left to make the decision of who's guilty and who's innocent. Yeah. That's what she tried to do. Sarah Koenig, I think is how it was pronounced. But and you were just saying how at the time of the podcast, everybody kind of was siding with Adnan and thinking this guy is innocent. He's being falsely accused. Right. And it's unfair that he got brought into this. Yeah. Railroaded. This podcast. How great is it that this came out because it brought awareness to this innocent guy and his plight. But now you were saying the the tides have turned and people yeah. have really shifted their perspective. Yeah, I'm a, a Reddit creep. I creep on Reddit every night before I go to bed. And um, there's a serial Reddit. And what I was reading on there is that everybody it just kind of like everyone thought he was innocent when it came out. And then now everybody's like, oh, he's he's guilty, which I, I tend to agree with. He probably is guilty, but I don't think they proved it. I don't I don't think his trial was beyond a reasonable doubt. So. What were what were the facts? I'm, I'm forgetting now of like what really happened and why he was accused. And so they were in high school and hey, it, it all had to do with like his car and this guy named Jay who was out of high school. He was like a year older, but was dating Adnan's friend. And he and Jay were acquaintances, but Hey goes missing after school and the theory is that Adnan asked her for a ride. They drove to the Best Buy parking lot where he strangled her. Jay had Adnan's car. So Jay comes to the Best Buy parking lot, meets up with Adnan who now has Hay's car. She's in the trunk and the two of them go and bury her. Right. And that's kind yeah. of the going theory. Yeah, and I mean the the thing that it's like how you know more likely than not this jay guy was able to lead them to hay's body and her car and like it's not like he really had a connection to hay and he's saying it's through adnan that adnan killed her so like yeah kind of a little weird and yeah like 
more likely than not probably guilty so yeah but his trial definitely was just it just seemed to be all testimony based and i don't there wasn't any real concrete evidence that like it was him who knows yeah but he so he may be released though is the current word on the street in baltimore which would be crazy yeah that would be nuts and how many years after the fact is this like they were in high school that was like 1999 right yeah i thought it was the 90s yeah i think it was definitely the 90s so he's gotta be what like if he was 40s wow yeah and to just be getting out now potentially oh i know whole new life for him potentially i mean i always think about the that type of thing too which like he had a cell phone at the time so the cell phone data was very like rudimentary yeah but like even getting out and learning to use the difference between a flip phone and like an iphone like oh yeah that's crazy well and i remember like there was a whole cell tower debate and there was the question triangulate it and it was like how accurate is it right yeah Yeah, you kind of were only as good as the data back then which wasn't very good so it was hard to draw a lot of conclusions from sort of the less technological data that they had at that point so it'll be interesting to see if he gets out i know that'll be a big thing if he does it really will yeah when's he supposed to get out do we know i don't i just saw something two days ago about him potentially getting released i guess something was filed that named two or three other potential suspects named so new i mean like i guess maybe they have more evidence against them now right interesting we'll see it should be interesting i still think he's guilty but more to come yeah more to come we'll see what comes out but back to today's topic we are focusing on the lovely amy bradley Yes, if you we couldn't get enough of these cruise ship deaths last episode, so this inspired us to cover this case. I know I've known about this case for a while, and it's super, I don't know, scary, and if you still want to go on a cruise after listening to our last two episodes, I have to question your sanity. So. Yeah, we are big cruise grudge holders. Yeah. In general, frankly, I mean, no offense, I know people love cruises, and they go on cruises, and it's like their big thing. I just would rather die. It scares me to death. I don't know. It just, I just, oof. Yeah, like, like I'm sorry. I don't want to be cramped on a boat in the for middle of the a ocean, number of days. Like, yeah, no know. thanks. No fucking yeah. thank you. Like, have at it. Enjoy it. Go on your carnival cruise line. Yeah. But like, and just the number of people in there uh-uh. and you get sick and there's and like. rooms are small. Oh, and... yeah. And God forbid you get seasick and oh. then you're stuck out there for, oh, oh forget it. Yeah, That's no thanks. Oh, my nightmare. Yeah, but I'm good. But yeah, if you managed to listen to last episode and this episode and you still want to go on a cruise, good on you. You must really love cruises I because guess. you are just fighting against all the odds here. Yeah. Yeah. We're telling you a couple uh, cautionary tales here. Yeah. Big time. So let's start by talking about who Amy Bradley was. Yes. She was born on May 12th, 1974 in Virginia. And her her parents are Ron and Iva, or Eva, who's to say it's I-V-A, and she had a brother named Brad. Also, I didn't realize until, like, almost towards the end of these notes, they named him Brad Bradley. I didn't even notice that. It took me till, like, the very end of the story to catch it. Jeez. That's a tough one. But her parents at the time described her as very athletic. (laughs) She was a really talented basketball player in high school. And she got a ton of basketball scholarship awards, which is really cool. 
Um, and she decided to stay close to home and attended a school called Longwood University. And in 1998, she was 23 years old and she was pursuing a master's in sports psychology. And in March of that year, her parents called Amy and her brother to let them know that her father's company was going to be sending the whole family on a seven-day Caribbean cruise. Which is crazy. Like, I've never heard of that happening. It also sounds like such a gimmick and, like, a catch, like, a trap or something. Like, you sat through a timeshare thing and we're all going to send you now on a cruise, but really we're only going to pay for one night each or whatever. Oh, yeah, like, there's got to be some weird catch or, you know, a, a chink in the chain here because this sounds way too good or good for people who like cruises anyway. True. Because for me, it sounds like a nightmare. But Amy was kind of reluctant at first about going and something about being out there. She kind of felt like we feel. She didn't like the idea of being stuck in the middle of the open water. And she just felt really nervous about the whole thing, apprehensive. But ultimately, she was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to go. Who gets an opportunity like this? It's seven days. It's free. Your whole family. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, they go off on this cruise. It's a 1,000 foot or 305 meter ship, the Rhapsody of the Seas, which I don't know why it just feels like a very like 90s, 2000, like let's give these cool names to these right? boats, like Rhapsody of the, of the Seas. Um, and so they boarded in Puerto Rico on March 21st, 1998. On March 23rd, the ship docked in, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly. Yeah, that's a tough one. I'm going to say or- Orangestad or Orangestad, Aruba. <laughs> the family spends the day exploring the island. They did not run into Tara Reid, unfortunately. Oh, so unfortunate. Yeah. But, you know, still had a good time. They returned to the ship for dinner. And afterward, they all go to a party on the upper deck of the ship. Sounds familiar. Like right. Steak dinner and then a little partying after. Exactly. So it's a really big party. They're dancing. There's limbo. Oh, classic cruise ship activity. Oh, it's very lively. <laughs> so then around 1 a.m., the ship sets off to Curacao, which is a tiny island off the coast of Venezuela. At this time, Ron and Iva go back to their room for the night. Oof. Yeah. This is the mistake. Don't I leave know. your kids unattended yeah. on the cruise ship. Now, no. I know she's 23, but still. It just goes to show it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So after their, the parents head to bed, Amy and Brad decided to go to the ship's 24-hour dance Oh, my club. God. Which sounds even more like Ugh. a nightmare. Yeah. No, thanks. I don't want a room near that. So at this lovely dance party, the band, the house band, Blue Orchid, was which playing. sounds like a strip club, <laughs> it does. You're or so right. Like a weird spa, a front for something. Yeah, yeah, like a massage parlor. Uh huh. Where there's happy endings. Yeah. yeah. So again, these people are partying into the wee hours on these ships. Um, We're around 4 a.m. now when Brad goes back to the shared family cabin. And this took me a little bit to figure out, but it seems that they all four were in one cabin. Oh, gosh. Um, But they're also probably very sound sleepers because it seems like there was a lot of movement. Well, and if they came in at 4 a.m., like, my parents would murder me. Well, that's what I, originally I was like, okay, it's got to be adjoining rooms. And then... 
I checked into it, and no, it seems like they all were in one room. That is a nightmare. I know. And, like, the nerve of you to come back at 4 in the morning when your parents are sleeping in your little room. And you're drunk and... And loud. And and loud, and you got to get, like, into bed or whatever. Yeah, you're probably bumping into shit. Like, forget it. Yeah. So when Brad comes in, and maybe this is to kind of limit the noise, he goes right out to where? The balcony. Right. Which, like, <sighs> why is it always the balcony? I don't know. I don't know. This is, if you go on a cruise, at least don't go on the balcony at night. Yeah, it's a that's, recipe for disaster. That's Something the one bad's thing. going to happen. No. So around 4.15 or 4.30, Amy comes back. And she joins Brad on the balcony. God, here we go. I know. Balcony, stay away. Um, So Brad then, around that time, as soon as she comes out, pretty much says, all right, I'm going to call it a night. He goes back into the room. But Amy says she wants to stay out there because she's not sleepy yet. So she just wants also, to see like, the stars. Also, like, you're not tired and it's four in the I morning. Know. And you want to sit out there at four in the morning on a balcony freezing <sighs> your balls off? Well, and get get this. Get ready for the next section because... uh. When the lovely family wakes up. Right. It's not too much later. Right. Rude awakening. So the next morning, and we say the next morning, but literally it's within an hour of Brad saying goodnight to Amy. At around 5.30 a.m., Ron wakes up, dad, and sees Amy still out on the lounge chair on the balcony. Kind of weird, but okay. And around this time, the ship is pulling into Curacao. And Ron decides to lay back down for a little bit before they have to get up for breakfast. He wakes up again at 5.50 a.m., so about 20 minutes later, and he sees at this point Amy's not out on the balcony Uh-oh. anymore. And all of Amy's belongings are still in the room. And Dad assumes, okay, she probably went to the upper deck to get some coffee. You know, no sleep, clearly. Yeah, right? So like, maybe she's going to fuel up. <laughs> Who knows? And he gets out of bed, and he goes to presumably join her. And she's not there. And he can't find her anywhere. He starts looking around. And he looks for about an hour for Amy on the ship. And finally, he's like, this is really weird. I'm not finding this girl. So Ron goes back to the room and he wakes up his wife. And he says, listen, I can't find Amy anywhere. So the two of them together, mom and dad, go to the crew and tell them Amy is missing. And... They beg the crew, please don't let down the gate in Curacao because they really want to account for Amy first. And just to like put this all in perspective here, there's about 2,000 people on this ship. So it makes sense that they're trying to get their arms around this thing and figure out where the heck she is before people start jumping out like wildfire. And the captain says, listen, guys, that's too bad about your daughter, but I'm not going to keep the passengers locked in this ship i'm not gonna let them not disembark like i'm letting them off and he says he's gonna have his crew search the whole ship for amy and they do issue an announcement for amy over the intercom but it's 7 50 in the morning and at this point a lot of people have left the ship they've all disembarked so the bradleys themselves the three remaining bradleys go and they search the ship themselves and around 5 p.m., so this is like 12 hours yeah, later from about. the first, you know, the first realization that Amy might be gone, there's still no sign of her. 
And they get informed by the captain that the crew searched every area of the ship and they didn't find anything. Now, this scares me, too, because I just feel like these ships are cavernous. Oh, God, and yeah. like a freaking labyrinth. And how are they supposed to really search every single area? Well, and I'm thinking, too, which I'm just going to say up front, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. But I don't know if you've ever seen the thing about um, the girl named Kanika Jenkins. No. So there's there was a hotel party in chicago um and this one girl was obviously you can see all like the video footage surveillance footage obviously very intoxicated oh and this terrifies me she accidentally stumbled into the freezer (gasps) and died oh yeah and so there's a whole conspiracy theory behind it that somebody put her in there somebody put her in there or that like there's stuff missing from the surveillance like it was edited or whatever i don't think so i think the poor girl was very intoxicated she stumbled in there she's stumbling for sure yeah but like that's the type of thing i'd be worried about you know like oh Oh, totally like some area that isn't often traversed and you manage to get down there because you're drunky and then nobody can find you and forget it Captain. captain and the crew at this point suggest okay maybe amy went into curacao and encouraged the bradleys to look there which like no no and to me this also feels like they were just like listen people get off our back yeah we don't want to deal with it yeah we don't want to deal with you busy go search now we've expanded the search area from just our little cruise ship to all of this country carousel oh my god so that's kind of a much bigger boundary there yeah so the bradleys disembark at around 5 30 p.m and they start to look for amy in curacao and they have less than four hours Ugh. until the ship leaves for the next destination, which is a horrifying terrifying. feeling. <laughs> and like, it's basically a scavenger hunt for your life. Like, well, and I'd be worried if I were just a tourist getting off. Like, I have this much time till I have to be back, and I'm not yes. looking for somebody. Like, oh my god, that's what I hate. For like another thing to hate about um, cruises, yeah, is like you're just everything's so limited, and you don't get to make your own time, and, and you if are you miss so, it, you're done. Yeah, and then you're screwed rude so anyway they have these four hours and they get off and they try to look around and they try to get in touch with the authorities and the american embassy which of course is closed as luck would have it and they reach out to the fbi but the soonest they can get there is 24 hours which obviously is way past the four hour marking point and ultimately the bradleys are like you know what we're not going to get back on this ship we're going to stay in Curacao and we're going to wait for the FBI to come. Yeah, which had to be a really difficult decision. But I, I think it was probably the right one, truthfully. Probably, honestly. Yeah. I mean, if because at least if she's on the ship and you just didn't find her, she's still she's on the still ship. She's on the ship, yeah. And yeah. Somebody will find her. Right. But yeah, if she's in this country, then at Who's least staying you're... behind looking for her. Exactly. Yeah. So it was probably the right call. Um. So... Not long after the ship departs, the Bradleys hear from the FBI that, oh, this wonderful captain did not search the ship as thoroughly as he said he had. He actually only searched the common areas. So stupid. Yeah, not helpful. So the FBI meets them in Curacao and the Bradleys and escorts them via plane to the ship's next location, which is St. Thomas. Iva confronts the captain and tells him she is very upset that he lied to her. She persuades him to allow the FBI to come on board and search. So on March 26th, the FBI does an extensive search, thankfully, 
and they search everywhere. They're, you know, walking around. They have pictures of Amy. They're approaching people. And the Bradleys themselves also continue to search the ship. Which is brutal. Oh, God. Like, what a... They probably haven't slept at all during this time, too. Of course not. Oh, it's just awful. And I just have to say, Brad is probably really hurting because he wasn't... (laughs) Didn't even get any sleep the night before. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Can you imagine doing this search hungover and exhausted and having slept for, like, an hour? Oh, my God. No. No. Forget it. Yeah. You're going to start having hallucinations in no time. Oh, big time. He'll find her, but it won't be her. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So, as the Bradleys are walking the halls, two college-aged girls run up to them frantically and they say that they saw Amy with a ship band member the morning she disappeared. Which is humiliating. <sighs> I mean, can you imagine? You go missing on a family trip. Your family's looking for you. They're terrified. And two little girls run oh up to them God. as they're doing a search party for you and say, hey, we saw your daughter, like, slutting it up and, right. like, hanging out with the band mates and mm-hmm. a blue orchid. Right. And having a good old time, and then she was never seen again. Right. Like, like mm, uh-oh. Great. Doesn't that's, feel good. That's not how I want to go down. I wouldn't want to be caught that way and have that be the last memory of me. My gosh. Like, that's bad enough that you're already missing, but now your parents have to hear that you were gallivanting around with a band member on top of it. So the girls said that around 5.45 a.m. they saw Amy heading back to the ship's all-night dance club. Why? Uh, with a band, with the band's bass player, Alistair, Alistair Douglas, nicknamed Yellow. Love to know why his nickname was Yellow. Yeah, it was all yellow. I don't know. Well, maybe there was another ni- guy named Green because we have Blue Orchid, Yellow. Oh, very nice conclusion. Hey, it's all about the colors here on the uh, wonderful ship. That's right. The Rhapsody of the Seas. So they said that they saw the two. Uh, so this is Yellow and Amy in the elevator up to going up to the disco. So this this 24-hour dance club. And when the elevator stopped, Amy turned and went in the direction of the club. They didn't say uh, which way Yellow went. It didn't sound like he went with her, but they were obviously in the elevator getting off at the same floor together. So I don't know what's going on there. So when the Bradleys hear this story, Brad later on recalls that um, Amy was actually dancing with Yellow Uh at the nightclub before she disappeared. And Brad also said that he had a strange encounter with Yellow the morning when the Bradleys were all searching. He said, and this is classic, I feel like this is a classic, like, law and order, oh, did you catch that little thing? He says that Yellow came up to him and said, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry to hear about your sister. But at the time, only the captain and security team knew she was missing. Not a great sign for good old yellow over here. Old yeller, I should say. I, what the hell, man? I mean, you're already sorry and nothing's even happened yet? Yeah. I mean, it's classic, you know. Oh, how did you know it was a knife? I never said it was a knife type of thing. So Brad reports this to the FBI. Good job. And they bring yellow in for questioning. They ask him how he knew about Amy's disappearance, and at this time he changes his story and says that he doesn't know anything about her or disappearance. The FBI brings in a polygrapher onto the ship, 
and he administers a lie detector test, which to me, I'm like, okay, you're just going to like subject yourself, like agree to do that on the cruise ship. Like, yeah. Right. And also, I mean, how the hell did he know about this if he wasn't a part of it? But then again, I mean, how did he, how do you change your story afterwards? Obviously yellow is an idiot. Yeah, pretty much. It, it's, yeah. His name should be gray because there is no gray area here. Like <laughs> the ship security and FBI also question him. But in the end, there just wasn't enough to detain him. At this point, it's been 72 hours since Amy went missing, and the investigators discover that the ship's photo service, which, you know, is just there to go around, take pictures of the guests having a good time on the cruise, they have mysteriously lost every photo taken of Amy. This is extremely creepy, and to me, I don't know, it's strong evidence that somebody on the ship was doing something. Agreed, and that somebody else is covering up for it. So later on, the family learns that her pictures went missing nine to ten hours before she disappeared and that she was the only one on the ship who had their pictures missing. More bad evidence against the ship and its employees. So they try to find out who removed the photos, but they never do. So creepy. But of course, immediately... There's the fear that there was a kidnapping conspiracy or something weird going on here. So on March 28th, the cruise is ending and the family disembarks the ship along with everybody else and they catch a flight back home, which is just so sad, like that this incident happened here and now they have to just go home and talk about like the post-vacation willies. Like these poor people are like post-vacation and we're missing a family member and now we have to just go home with our tail between our legs I know and it's like like you're saying you know when you get back from vacation you're already kind of like getting back into reality but they're settling into reality without their daughter like okay we just get off the ship and go on our way and they must have felt so guilty too because she never wanted to go on the cruise to begin with like so true how embarrassing so and y'all pressured her and now look what happened but anyway so They launch, at this point, a nationwide campaign to bring awareness to Amy's case, which is helpful. Um, But then again, it's also only nationwide, which is kind of weird. And she could have potentially gone missing in Curacao, but whatever. Um, And they put it on the news all over the place, all different news outlets. And they announce, hey, everybody, there's a $200,000 reward within seven days of getting back from the cruise. So they're really hopeful that somebody is going to see this messaging and is going to find Amy and turn her in. Yeah, and they're really obviously on it right away, too, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, only a week goes by. You don't even take a moment to catch your breath and you're already putting out this reward and this statement. So four weeks, unfortunately, pass by without any developments. It's April 21st, and Brad and Ron return to Curacao to search for Amy again. I mean, talk about a dedicated family. Thank God. But, you know, within 24 hours of being there, a taxi driver comes up to them and says, Hey, wait a minute. I recognize Amy from the flyer that you guys are passing out, and I saw her the morning she vanished. Now, meanwhile, I'd be very skeptical of this because y'all are putting out all of these messages that you're willing to pay top dollar to the person that can identify your daughter. And you're in probably a third world country where folks are really in need of that money. 
And of course, they're going to say anything to make you think that they're going to help you out. Yeah, and as we'll see in the next couple sentences here, like they clearly rely on tourists for a lot of income. And like you're saying, I would be very suspicious of whether they actually saw Amy or not. Yeah, I'm sure tourism is their number one industry, and it's just desperation at its finest. But the taxi driver tells the family members that he was waiting at the cruise ship where the people were getting off to try to get customers. And just minutes after the ship opens its doors, according to the taxi driver, Amy approached the cab frantically asking where the telephone was, and he pointed her to a phone. And Bradley's passed this search on to the authorities, and Ron and Brad stay on the island for one week, but they don't uncover any more leads. And when the two return home, they continue to turn to the media and focus on keeping attention to Amy's case, which is so sad. I mean, they're just trying so hard at this point, and obviously there's only so much you can do. There's foreign countries involved, and who knows where she disappeared, if it was on the boat or in Curacao or somewhere totally different. So we fast forward to May 1999, and a man named David Carmichael, who is a Canadian businessman, calls the Bradleys with a lead after watching a TV segment on Amy's case. He tells them that he saw Amy in Curacao about five months after she vanished. Oh, my God. And here we go again. He was scuba diving in Curacao. Now, let's just throw in a kayak, and we've got everything from (laughs) the story last time. So we've got the cruise, the scuba diving, no kayak, though. So he said that he was on the beach at an area where I guess they kind of like wash off their equipment and freshwater to get any salt off, probably to help it from, you know, corroding. And he looked down the beach and saw a girl walking and she was flanked by two men. As soon as the girl heard him speaking English, she kind of picked up her pace and began to put distance between her and the two men. And just about as she like got right up to David and was about to speak, the two men caught up to her and just whisked her away to a cafe right off the beach like the reenactment of this is pretty you know bad um but david and okay what follows to me is kind of weird so david follows them into the cafe what is this david guy like some kind of martyr slash rescuer like no offense i mean are you really going to go this far as to follow this person who you don't even know if she's a victim or not into a cafe and pursue these two men no that's exactly my thought though too it's it's like also if he's that concerned why is he like oh so concerning oh but she's going into the cafe i'll follow like why not alert authorities he follows them into the cafe and he noticed several things about the woman i don't know how believable this all is um but he says he saw a scar on her right shin and she also seems to be pointing out several tattoos all over her body i will say these tattoos are something they're really embarrassing tattoos. I mean, no offense, but like, yikes. Why are you out here getting these types of tattoos? And also, her parents are probably like, uh, not our daughter with those tattoos. But now they're probably thankful that she has them because they're so identifiable. So one of the tattoos was a Tasmanian devil, and this was on her left shoulder blade. He says that he was so upset after learning about Amy's case because he was only two feet away from her. I will say, I did watch the guy, and he does seem credible, but some of his actions don't... They don't really line up properly? Yeah, exactly. It just doesn't doesn't make sense, kind of, what he did. 
the Bradleys contact local authorities in Curacao and they search the area where the encounter took place, but they don't find anything. Unsurprising because this guy just sounds not totally credible. I mean, it sounds like he came off well in the interview, but I don't know. It seems like he's got ulterior motives or like this was just a different person and I don't know. Yeah, the details are weird, and yeah, what he did was just kind of weird to me. So our next lead comes about seven months after Amy went missing, and a private investigator named Frank Jones comes forward with a tip. Now, meanwhile, this story is like the tale of many tips here. Just the tip, because everyone and their brother is coming out of the woodwork to report these tips when they really have no business, for the most part, reporting and no real skin in the game and don't really know what they're talking about. But let's see what our friend Frank Jones has to say. So Frank claims that Amy is being held captive in the Caribbean in human trafficking. So we've got a Liam Neeson taken situation here, I guess, according to Frank the Tank. And he tells the Bradleys that he is a former special forces officer and that he has a team that can help bring Amy home. Really just sounding way too theatrical here. And he says, obviously, it's going to take time and it's going to be expensive. But the Bradleys, of course, were very willing to pay. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it's so sad, but it's so easy to take advantage of people in these types of situations. Yeah, it's so true. And they know at this point that the Bradleys have money. They offered this large amount of money for anybody who could provide a tip. And here this guy is offering to take them to Amy and to get her back. So who knows what he was expecting in terms of payment. So for one year, Frank is supposedly searching Curacao with his team staking out locations known for sex trafficking. And he ultimately determines, okay, Amy is still being held there. And he sends the Bradley's surveillance photos. And in some of the photos, you can see another tattoo that Amy, quote-unquote Amy, has on her ankle. And you also see that there's a tattoo on her back. And these tattoos match Amy's description. So the Bradleys believe Frank is getting close to bringing her home. So on September 22nd, 1999, Frank tells the Bradleys, listen, I have gained enough intel at this point to extract Amy, but I'm going to need something from y'all. I'm going to need a hundred grand to get her out of there. How convenient. How convenient that you just happen to need a little extra money. It's the classic, I'm a Nigerian prince, and if you give me 10 grand, I'll give you 10 million. Like, yeah, right. So poor Ron is desperate, and he just wants to get Amy back, so he borrows money from his boss. And before the boss hands over the cash, the boss wants to make sure that this tip is legitimate, which, can you blame him? Well, and thank God somebody at least, I mean, obviously... No one faults Ron because he's emotional and wants his daughter back, but at least someone is kind of thinking logically in it. Yeah, thank God. And at least the boss is kind of, you know, an unemotional connection to the family where he can sort of see clearly because they're just in this thing so deep that they're not really reasoning things out here. But to us from the outside, it's very clear, okay, this guy's obviously a charlatan and he's trying to take advantage here. So the boss... This is just like so painful and I can't even believe what they find. So the boss decides I'm going to investigate this tipster 
And on November 1st, 2000, the boss sent security resources to Curacao to monitor this Frank Jones fellow and his team. And and it's just so sad what they find. Oh, it's heartbreaking, especially and just infuriating. I mean, I'm like tensing up over here because the nerve of him. So after a few hours on the island, the security resource contacts the Bradleys and he says, guys, listen, I don't want to have to tell you this, but Frank is just down there drinking. He's partying. He's not doing anything with this search for Amy. He's just like gallivanting around on your dollar and he's doing nothing. And the resource also looks into Frank's background and learns that he was never in special forces and all his claims were false. And even worse, the agent learns that the alleged surveillance photos of Amy were not real. So get ready for this, people. This is just it'll knock you on your ass. Frank went so far as to have a young woman get temporary matching tattoos to Amy's and posed her for the photos. I mean, how much lower can you get? You're already asking for the 100000 on top of whatever money you already got out of the family. But, like, the extent that this guy went to, it's just sickening. Yeah, what a freak. And how dare he? It's just so offensive and horrible what he did to these poor people who are in the throes of agony just looking for their missing daughter. So on February, in February 2002, Frank gets arrested, thank God, and he's sentenced to five years in prison. And he had to pay back all the money to the Bradleys, which was $200,000. And the Bradleys are mostly upset at this point because here we are. We've lost another two years of searching for Amy because this guy kept you know, luring us in, saying, I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer, I, I found her, whatever. And here they are in the exact same spot that they were in right after she went missing. Yeah, I think that's the saddest thing that, like, obviously that's the most important thing and why they were doing this to begin with. And now they're even further behind than they thought they were. So we have a couple more leads and the next one comes in 2000. So the next one is from a sailor who was stationed in Curacao not long after Amy went missing. He went into a brothel and a girl approached him and said, my name is Amy Bradley and I need help. Yeah, right. I mean, come on. Like, you would really do that. And also, what? These people, they just keep coming forward over and over again. They're coming out of the freaking woodwork. Well, and yeah, to me, it just seems so unbelievable. Like, oh, you just happen to be the first one that, like, you know, she got all situated. She's clearly in the brothel, but you're the first one she happened to say, my name is Amy Bradley. I need help. Right. Exactly. Like, come on. And then she says, I need help. I can't get out. But again, similar to the scuba diver, the sailor says that before he can respond, someone whisks her away. Now, the sailor said that he waited two years to come forward because he wasn't supposed to be there in the brothel. And just like a lot of other leads in this case, it kind of goes nowhere because the brothel had since burnt down. So can't get any leads there. How convenient that, oh, the only place where you saw her, the only source of evidence is completely burnt to the ground. Great. Yeah, exactly. Great. Burned down uh, brothel. Now our next tip, and again, this woman in this tip, I think she believes what she saw. I don't know if it's Amy or not. So our next tip comes in September of 2005. This one 
I don't know. We'll we'll put the picture up, but I'd like to see everybody's opinion on this. So the Bradleys get a tip from an anonymous source. The source sends a picture to the Bradleys that he found online of a woman that looks like Amy. Now, the pictures are from an adult website, which is based in the Caribbean. And investigators start tracing the website's IP address, but they can't pinpoint the location of the IP address, which I found weird. Of course. Yeah. And it's just another sketchy thing hearkening back to like the Duggar situation where it's like if you can't find your IP address, there's something weird going on. And to tie it back to Adnan, the whole uh, cell tower thing, like all this tech, come on, people, get it together. So the Bradleys get in touch with a forensic detective and he does a whole kind of facial reconstruction comparison. And he says the facial structure, hairline and multiple ear piercings make for a perfect match to Amy. Meanwhile, is this forensic guy also a charlatan, too? Like, who can you trust these days? I know. Was he our um, forensic files uh, law professor there who was uh, investigating sleepwalking murders? Right. Yeah, that was his specialty. And he was into it, which how many people can you really claim were sleepwalking and killed their family member? Come on. Yeah, I I think you'd have to have some brain trauma or something to yeah have that happen. But this guy, the forensic detective, says that he would bet his career that it was Amy. Okay. And Ron and Iva go to the media then with these pictures. God, I'd bet my career. I don't know. I mean, do you really want to bet your career, buddy? Because it doesn't look like that much is going to happen from this. Yeah, and I have to say, again, we'll put these pictures up. But I can see the similarities, but I don't, I don't think it's her. I don't know. It just. Yeah, it's like you can see how it could be her, but you can also see how it could not be her. And it could just be a similar looking girl. I mean, all white people, we kind of look alike. But... Anyway, so we get to December 2005, and the family receives, you guessed it, another new tip from an Ohio woman named Judy Maurer. And she was on a cruise ship that docked in Barbados, and she disembarked to go shopping and was using the restroom in a store. And as soon as she entered the stall, a woman and three men came in. And Judy hid in the stall because the men were very agitated at the time. One of the men threatened the woman who was with them and said, the deal is at 11 and you better be ready to go. This is my deal and you better not mess this up. Meanwhile, this sounds like a made up dialogue from somebody who's never heard one person intimidating another person. Yeah, she's definitely like a suburban soccer mom and she's very frantic and panicked and stuff like I, I again, I don't know. This one probably seems like one of the less believable or helpful tips to me. Yeah, I agree. And it also just sounds almost like what a child would put into words, like trying to sound like an adult or serious. Like, this is my deal and you will not mess up my deal because my deal is at 11 and it's my deal and the deal is mine. Yeah, like, no, stop, help, please (laughs) don't make me. Right, exactly. So anyway, take that to heart. But the men leave and the woman remained in the bathroom by the sink. And the woman was very emotional, so Judy, apparently, being the good person she is, goes up and tries to talk to her. And she starts asking her questions, asking her where she's from. And the woman says Virginia, which is Amy's home state. How convenient. And Judy asks the woman her name. The woman says Amy. 
And Judy says, oh, my daughter's name is Amy. And I have to say in this reenactment, okay, so the next the next part, the woman gets a little spooked after this. So Judy asks the woman her name, and the woman says, Amy. And Judy says, oh, my daughter's name is Amy. Then the girl sort of moves toward Judy, trying to motion to her to be quiet. And at that time, the men apparently start pounding on the door really loudly. And the men finally open the door a little bit, like just a crack, and the woman cowers. Now, I have to say, in the, in the retelling of this by Judy, we see that Amy kind of cowers and like panics when she starts saying, oh, my daughter's name is Amy. But the way that this Judy lady kind of reenacts it, she's like, oh, my daughter's name is Amy. So like the girl is probably like, what the fuck? Like I'm freaked out here by this lady. Right, right. Like, okay, it's not that big of a coincidence. It's 1999 and your name is Amy. Like, you know, whatever. Um, So is everybody else. So at this point, Judy starts to feel really nervous. So she rushes past the men and sprints out of the bathroom. That was helpful. And later on, she sees the photos of Amy in an article about missing people and contacted the Bradleys at this point. Also, I have to say, it's kind of like all these people are contacting the Bradleys, which I thought was crazy. Yeah, that's so true. And it's just, yeah, where's the intermediary so that these poor people, because they're obviously in the middle of something, they're incredibly emotional, they're, the stakes are high, and how can they be expected to field all of these tips and decide if they're legitimate or not? They can't, obviously, or we wouldn't have all these illegitimate tips. So... You know, Judy contacts the Bradleys, and using Judy's description, the authorities create sketches of Amy and her abductors. But by the time the detectives follow up with the store, nobody remembers seeing them, which is not surprising because it's five years later at this point, right? It's it's six years later at this point. And also, I mean, I don't know. Her encounter doesn't seem very, I don't know. I, I just don't know if these people would have interacted with any, if they were there would have interacted with anybody else in the shop or what was going on. Well, yeah, and if any of these encounters really happened, which I could see them happening, but I could also see a lot of sketchy shit happening in these countries. No offense. Again, I hate to say it, but they always kind of warn people to stay within the boundaries of a resort or near the boat if you're on a cruise or whatever because – People don't really have their wherewithal and they don't know what the deal is in these other countries. We're used to our home and being safe wherever we go, but it's not necessarily like that other places. And when people see that you're a foreigner, they could strike against you because you're vulnerable. Yeah, Judy, don't go off shopping by yourself in Barbados. Exactly. So unfortunately, this is kind of where we leave off in December of 2005 and There have really been no updates since, but the poor Bradley family is still out there trying to keep Amy's story in the media, trying to figure out, you know, if they could ever maybe see her again. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Betsy Boss Podcast. If you'd like to find us online, we're on Facebook at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Instagram at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Twitter at Betsy Boss Pod. And our email is BetsyBossPodcast at gmail.com. Also, Betsy Boss is now on both iTunes and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) 